0: Welcome, podcast listeners, to another episode of History, From One Student to Another. In this episode of my series on Hitler's Germany, we will be looking at different groups of people in Germany so as to gain a wider perspective on the Nazi regime in order to answer an important question, did the people of Germany truly support the Nazi regime? The following podcast is based on the Cambridge A-Level History Curriculum. One of the main groups we are going to look at is the military, but also the Nazis' leadership and paramilitary. Support from the military and the support of Göring, Heydrich and Himmler was key, as in the period of 1933 to 1934, the army had the power to be able to remove Hitler. However, once the power of the SA was diminished and its leaders removed during the Night of the Long Knives, Hitler was able to gain the support of the majority of the military, added to the fact that he rearmed, expanded and gave them the chance to fight and achieve victories. Hitler expanded his control in an engineered plot in which he removed leading elements of the military who opposed his rule. However, key people in the army remained concerned at the idea of a huge war and kept plotting to remove Hitler. One of these key figures was General Beck, who planned on arresting Hitler, but Hitler was able to maintain control and the trust of the army. Even when the war began to collapse with defeats in Russia, the army had become so Nazified that most remained loyal to Hitler. In the July bomb plot of 1944, a group of officers did act and try to assassinate Hitler, but they were unsuccessful. Even before the war, there were other instances of attempts on Hitler's life. In 1936, Helmut Hirsch who was a German Jew and member of the pro Prostrata Black Front, planted two suitcases filled with explosives at the Nazi party headquarters in Nuremberg. This suggests that a number of people in the German military were not satisfied with Hitler and wished to remove him entirely. Overall, despite these few instances of disloyalty, the military was largely supportive of the Nazi regime and Hitler's rule. Another group is the upper class. Support for Hitler has long been identified among the upper classes, with Hitler receiving support from the wealthy industrialists and big businesses. Hitler was even able to achieve support through the war. When Germany rearmed and went into war, industrial sectors of the economy experienced a high increase in production and income, so they were even more supportive of Hitler and the Nazis' policies. The Nazis were even able to please Germany's aristocrats, with their proposals to expand east and reduce the population density, desire to return traditional values, imperialist policies, and German nationalism being appealing to these aristocrats. Businessmen also supported Hitler as he was in favour of private businesses. In contrast, the Weimar Republic was increasingly nationalising businesses between 1928 and 1933. However, as a result of the war, food production was half what it had been prior to the beginning of the Second World War. Despite upper-class people being wealthier, they still suffered from a lack of food during the war period. Moving on, the middle class is much more complicated, although in earlier historians, They saw the Misselstanzpartei, a group of lower middle class craftspeople and small shop owners, and the middle central class, central middle class, as being drawn to the Nazis in order to fill a gap in politics. Some Nazi policies may have resulted in reduced support from middle class groups. For instance, the Nazi policy of social Darwinism towards businesses resulted in smaller businesses, who were seen as less efficient, failing. In fact, during the rule of the Nazis, 20% of small businesses were shut down whilst big businesses increased their profit margins. However, it can indeed be argued that the concept of social Darwinism was almost only applied to, to Jewish businesses rather than small businesses belonging to so-called ethnic, art, uh, ethnic Germans. The elimination of the Jewish businesses meant that middle-class iron businessmen had less competition and saw improvements in their business. Moreover, the middle class did benefit from the improving economy which enhanced their lifestyles and brought the image of a moderate unifying leader in Adolf Hitler who united Germans. Additionally, they were able to enjoy the benefits brought on by kraft durch freud strength through joy, as they were able to afford holidays and participate in new activities. If you look at the Nazis' voting history as a whole, it is true that especially in early years the Nazis did receive a large number of votes from middle class. Although you could argue that perhaps the even more overrepresented group were the working class and not the middle class. The working class and peasant class also had mixed views on Hitler. Peasants gained little from Hitler's economic policy, but as a whole there was little opposition from rural workers and farming, as it did become more secure overall due to the regime's investment in autarky. Meanwhile Hitler was able to appeal to the urban working class as their economic situation improved through new Nazi labour organisations, and through removing the language of class warfare and replacing it with bonds of shared racial society, which crossed classes. Although the working class voted in smaller percentages, they did make up the bulk of Nazi support. Despite this, they were not necessarily pro-Nazi, but Hitler was able to convince a lot of workers that, despite the loss of rights as compared with during the Weimar Republic, they were benefiting more in the end. Additionally, as the socialists and communists were crushed, and hence this opposition to the Nazi's rule was removed, workers turned to Hitler. Overall, the working class did not benefit from Nazi policy that much, as they lost their workers' rights and trade unions, and their work hours increased while their wages did not, and they lost the freedom to quit or change their jobs. Despite the repression they faced, there were still instances where workers challenged their employers and Nazi organisations and took industrial actions although this did result in punish from them, and in terms of the amount of times it actually occurred, it was very small. Furthermore, they did not necessarily benefit from the leisure programme, not nearly as much as the middle class did, because their wages were still comparatively low, and even farmers stayed poor despite Nazi autarky policies. Hence, as a result, the working class were unable to afford the activities promoted by the KDF programme of the Nazis. Meanwhile, in regards to the youth, studies of the electoral results during the 1930s revealed that Nazis gained noticeable support from people who hadn't voted in elections before, such as the young people who voted for the first time, as they had recently become eligible to vote, and they first decided to vote for the Nazis. As the Nazi regime developed, more and more young people had been put through the Nazi education system and were exposed to Nazi propaganda and taken into Nazi youth organisations, with historians arguing that this significantly indoctrinated the youth into supporting Hitler's Nazi regime. However, there are other historians who argue that many young people were not actually indoctrinated by the youth organisations, but rather used it as a time to enjoy uh, spending time with friends and participating in activities. There were even instances of rebellious youth groups, like the Swing Kids, who didn't conform to Nazi ideals of traditional conservative family values. They drank alcohol, smoked, listened to American jazz music, and spoke about and had a lot of sex, actively rebelling against the Nazi party. When looking at women as a group, it's quite incredible to learn that the Nazis, who forced so many women out of their jobs and pushed for them to stay at home and have babies, were supported by so many women. In fact, it's true that many Nazi organizations aimed at women were actually run by women, and this represents the opportunities which the Nazis offered to women. Although there was opposition from women who had been banned from certain jobs, like being doctors, there were millions of women, especially those who were uneducated, who still supported the Nazi regime and took employment in areas they were permitted to, rather than organizing opposition movements against the Nazis. Overall Nazi policy towards women did fail as women continued to work and the birth rate failed to increase significantly, but that did not mean that the Nazis were not supported by women. Despite Nazi ideas that promoted traditional household values, like women being the light of the home, many women still wanted to work rather than become housewives, and female employment actually rose and continued to rise exponentially during the war. Finally, the last group I am going to look at this episode is the church. Over the course of the 1920s and early 1930s, in European countries like Italy and even Germany, the Catholic Church had been moving towards fascism, as they knew that the Church would be abolished under a communist government, which appeared to be a significant threat at the time. However, during the collapse of the liberal Weimar Germany, Catholics voted for the Nazis in far lower numbers than Protestants. Catholic Cologne and Dusseldorf had some of the lowest Nazi voting percentages and the Catholic Church structure provided a different leadership figure and ideology when compared with that of the Nazis. Nonetheless, Hitler was able to negotiate with the churches, coming to the Reich Concordat with the Catholic Church in which Hitler guaranteed Catholic independence and no new struggle between them in return for support and an end to their role in politics. Although a few months later Hitler did end up breaking the agreement, but at a vital time Hitler received vital support from Catholics and the possible opposition of the Center Party vanished as it dissolved. Despite Hitler's aggression, he still retained the support of Protestants, who disliked the Weimar Republic, Treaty of Versailles, and even Jews. However, a significant number of Christians remained opposed to Nazi policy. Some of it was successful, as Christians were able to successfully temporarily stop the euthanasia program, which involved executing the mentally ill and disabled, as they voiced their opposition against the policy. Still, the Nazis' racist Nuremberg laws were actually welcomed by some right-wing Christians. Hence, overall, the Nazis were able to maintain support from the Catholics and the Protestants. Thank you for listening to this episode of my podcast. The final episode of my series on Hitler's Germany will be released on Monday, and it will serve as a summary to the series and an outlook on Hitler's Germany. Please subscribe to be notified when the next episode is released. Goodbye!